The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz. Sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty here in Washington, D.C. A program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship, bold biblical principles for a robust public Christian life. And now your host, Dr. Greg Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C., and friends of the program all across the country. I'm Greg Seltz. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert. Today on our program, we are privileged to be speaking with Jerry Newcomb, and he's the executive director of Providence Forum, radio TV, uh, radio host, TV producer for D. James Kennedy Ministry, and an author uh, of many books. And one of the ones I want to go talk to him about today is one he's written a long time ago. But before we get to that, welcome, Jerry. Thank you. Great to be with you, Greg. There's a book, and I, I talked to you about this before. There's a book that I used way back when, when I was in ministry, you know, pastoral ministry, and it was, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? And one of the reasons why it was such a significant book for me is most people hadn't thought about the fact that a lot of their freedoms, a lot of their blessings, a lot of the things that they take for granted were were a fruit the fruit of, of the ministry and the teachings of Jesus and the New Testament that had come to fruition uh, in our culture. They just kind of assumed that they've always been there. And I loved the way that book explained, no, if Jesus had never been born, it'd be a, a much, much different world. So in the, let me read a quote. You, you said it this way. In one sense, the point of this book is to say Nietzsche, Freud, Hitler, Robert Ingersoll, Lenin, Stalin, Mao, the ACLU, anti-faith college professors, Hollywood leaders who constantly denigrate Christianity and other leading anti-Christians of the past, that the overwhelming impact of Christ's life on the planet Earth has been positive not negative. So let me ask you, is that why you wrote the book? And and how do you think that book is is uh, wearing historically? Because I think it's wearing well. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, the, uh, it that and much more. I mean, the bottom line is there are so many ways in which Jesus Christ impacted culture. And and both Dr. Kennedy and I were fans of that, that movie uh, called uh, it's a Wonderful Life, where right. the Jimmy Stewart character gets to see what life would be like in his small little hometown. Right. Had Jesus, you know, had he, the character George Bailey, never been born. And he made all this positive impact and he hadn't even realized it. And we thought, wow, wouldn't that be amazing if you applied the same concept to Jesus Christ? And you just especially look at, instead of doing a church history book that goes century by century right. by century and all these different controversies within the church and so forth, what if we went issue by issue? So we look at, let's say, the value of human life. Did Jesus have an impact on that? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what about education? Oh, my goodness. Schools for the masses are basically a Christian invention. In yeah. fact, that Ref especially took place after the, the Reformation, but even before the Reformation, a lot of times the local cathedrals would be the, the place where schools were there. They would have the cathedral schools. The universities were created in the Middle Ages to reconcile uh, the, really, the newly rediscovered writings of Aristotle with Christian theology. They didn't always seem to mesh, and so these universities grew up 
uh, in, in 1200 AD when we have universities to this day. All the great major schools in America of universities were founded by Christians for Christian purposes. And they, they stated as such in their charters, Harvard, Yale, Dartmouth, uh, Princeton. You look at the issue of economics. Wherever Christianity is gone, people start to have a sense of personal responsibility, and it changes things. A family and, and family life and so forth. Christianity, again, makes huge contributions. Music and the arts. And so you just go on and on and on, and you realize, wow, Jesus Christ made a mark in this world, and it continues to this day. And yeah. so, for example, if you travel, let's say, away from in nations that have had Christian influence historically, and you mm -hmm. just go keep going further and further away from those, all of a sudden life becomes a lot more cheap uh, than it was in areas where, where, you know, Christianity has made a huge difference. You know, and I love how you say that because there's a lot of people today who are arguing against the church, that the church is nefarious. It's a nefarious entity, all that kind of stuff. We run into it all the time. And, they they will even use our own phrases as if they 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 created it. Like I, you were just talking about education, education for all. I always talk about how the, the Lutheran Reformation, you know, uh, which is my heritage. The Lutheran Reformation. One of the reasons why everyone should read is because yes. everyone needs to know the good news of the Bible. And then he's writing exactly. catechisms for everybody in the home. And again, the notion that education is for all that was a radical thing because it's it's much easier to control people if they are not educated and so again these folks that are talking about education for all they don't realize it came from a christian worldview a biblical worldview the other one i love and i don't know what do you think about this i'm part of a first amendment organization lutheran center for religious liberty today and if i'm talking to somebody who's critical of us i usually say oh do you believe in separation we use the word differentiation of church and state and they go of course you know and they just you know they mean it almost like the church doesn't belong and i said well you know that's a new testament idea you know that don't you i didn't know you were a christian <laughs> and they, that freaks them out because the idea of give to caesar what is caesar's he has a he has a role to play from god's point of view but it's a limited one and give to god what is god's and and james madison said and organize both a public church and a public state and differentiate them because your liberties depend on that you know, that's the kind of stuff where you're like, we can explain that. You know, that that flows naturally from our worldview, and it's really blessed so many. So can I, I can I pick up on that? Yeah, oh, go I, ahead, I go ahead. Oh, okay. I just want to give an example. Uh, Madison's good friend, of course, was Thomas Jefferson, and they were both heroes in their own day uh, among the evangelicals because they believed in religious liberty. Here they were in Virginia. And in Virginia, they did have an established church. It was the Anglican Church, by law established. That's right. what the establishment of religion is referring to, to, an established church. And both of them worked to provide religious freedom as, to have that disestablished on the state level. Right. And anyway, here's the bottom line. Jefferson wrote a document in 1777 called the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom. And it was adopted because his friend... Thomas, uh, I'm sorry, Madison helped get it, shepherded it through the legislature in 1786. Okay. And in that Virginia statute of religious freedom, he basically says, Jesus Christ, he doesn't use that phrase. He calls him the holy author of our religion, but he says that Jesus Christ is the reason we should have religious liberty because we should follow his example. He didn't force his way on people, although he was Lord, both the body and mind and could have chosen coercion 
as a means of propagating faith in him. But instead, he chose, you know, voluntary faith and and reason and so forth, logic. So this is a very interesting point, because what's happening is uh, people view some of the founding fathers and certainly Jefferson as being one who wanted a strict separation of church and state, by which they really mean the separation of God and state. Right. The founders did not intend that at all. I mean, they're the ones who who gave us chaplains uh, for both the legislature and the military, which is a longstanding tradition. But these are chaplains at, at taxpayers' expense to say prayers. And initially, of course, all the chaplains were were Christians. Right. And, uh, you know, they're the ones who declared national days of fasting and prayer. You know, it's interesting. Jefferson when he was president, chose not to deliver any national days of prayer and fasting and thanksgiving. He was one of the few presidents that have not done that. And but he said that was something for the states to do. Right. And when he was governor of Virginia, he did do that. And so it wasn't a matter of, you know, some sort of anti-religious impulse. It was more like, no, the federal government shouldn't get involved in religion and it shouldn't interfere with religion well and you know i always tell people respecting and establishment of religion or everything the free exercise thereof that's yeah and i always tell people i said you know people say what is this is a not a christian nation there's nothing god's not in the constitution i said no this has always been a nation of christians and that's exactly how the the founders thought that you know the constitution was to to limit the government to its necessary role and i say well if you limit something to like filling a pothole does it does that person have to be a Christian to fill a pothole a- adequately? Well, that's how they thought of. And, and I'm, I know I'm being uh, I'm hyperbolizing here, but that was the point. They thought the government was limited. And, and you and me as religiously motivated, self-disciplined citizens seeking a virtuous life in our community, that was the character of the country. And yes. so, again, it's just nonsense when they take these phrases and they throw them back at us and we go, wait a minute. No, this actually flows from a Christian worldview. Hey, I no, want to talk about. Right. In fact, we do have a chapter in, in the book about government, government, and how, yeah. you know, Christianity impacted government. And then also even a chapter on government and civil liberties and how civil liberties were impacted by Jesus Christ. I mean, a lot of people forget that the Martin Luther King, for example, was the Reverend Martin Luther King, right. he was a Baptist minister in the Baptist mm-hmm. tradition. You we you watched that speech he gave in August of uh, 1963, yeah. you know, at the Lincoln Memorial, I Have a Dream, and so forth. It's really almost more of a sermon than it is a speech. It's beautiful. And in fact, within uh, a minute or two, he quotes the book of Isaiah. Now, he doesn't say Isaiah says in chapter mm-hmm. 40, but he says, Every mountain, you know, shall be brought down and, you know, every valley shall be exalted. And yeah. In other words, what it means is the the humble, those who humble themselves shall be exalted, but those who exalt themselves shall be humbled. Yeah. A common biblical theme. And he was quoting directly from scripture and and uh, his whole movement was a church based movement. You just watch the the videos of the marchers and so forth. And you see a lot of priests you know including priests in right. the lutheran tradition the catholic tradition that's and richard john newhouse a big part of that and he was one he he was an lcms guy at one time then he became a catholic but you know it's really interesting too like you you brought that up that that these things flowed from these foundational truths of the scripture and they they flowed into society uh, and again madison even claimed that luther was the forerunner of the bill of rights you know just because of his two kingdom differentiation and all that see this is just powerful stuff, and our church needs to understand this because 
right now we're being pushed out of the culture, I think, because there's this narrative out there that the church is a nefarious entity, we're backwards, we don't understand progress, all of these things. And I'm saying, no, we're we're the virtuous ability to deal with progress so it doesn't destroy us, but it blesses us. So we have to take back the narrative. And that's what we're teaching our people. We're teaching our people, you have to rise to the occasion because you can't let lawyers and and uh, politicians do this. They're, eventually, they'll give way. Uh, we just saw that with the, the, I call it the Disrespect for Marriage Act, where we had senators who really believe in our view of marriage. They really believe that marriage is more than a relationship. It's an institution. It's foundational to a civil society. And they voted against it. You know, they voted for the destruction of that view or the diminution right. of that view. And so I tell my people, you got to go upstream. You got to go upstream in culture and you got to take back the narrative and you got to be able to argue why uh, this view of marriage is better for everybody. You got to you got to argue that pro-life is better for everybody. Um, so let's talk about a couple of things like that. Sure. That I think would be helpful. One of them was I saw an, uh, an interview with Jordan Peterson and this this woman who's very very accomplished. And she's a PhD. She's interviewing him, and he was talking about women and and their value in society. And he was talking about the Bible, and she immediately said, "Well, you know that book's misogynistic." And he said, "No, it's not." And she said, "Yes, it is." And no matter what he said, she couldn't get past the word submission, even though the Bible talks about women's submission and men's submission in a healthy relationship. But my point was, Peterson was saying that before the biblical view of these things, uh, you had uh, women were treated like they weren't even people. And now you have this Bible verse that says they were created in the image of God and they were equal, but they were different. And so he's trying to get across to her. That was the seedbed of her very freedom. So talk about like value of women, value of life, some of the things that you express in the book and how it changed because people started to think differently. Well, one of the lines that we had uh, in the book, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born, which I co-wrote with Dr. D. James Kennedy, uh, one of the lines said that Gloria Steinem, had she survived childhood, might likely be wearing a veil today, you know, if, if yeah. Jesus had never been born. I mean, it just, the, wherever the gospel has gone and penetrated, women's rights and women's value, value to women has has been elevated. It's right. just just true. Just travel around different places. I mean, for example, when William Carey, the first uh, evangelical minister to go over to India and begin the you know the modern missions movement about two hundred years ago, in earnest, two hundred ten mm -hmm. years ago, so. He uh, one of the things that he discovered that was very sad and very terrible and was a longstanding tradition. The Hindus had this practice uh, called sati. Right. And the way it would work is when a husband would die, then the wife was expected to voluntarily jump on and be burned to death. Her husband's funeral pyre. If she didn't do it voluntarily, then a lot of times she was she was forced to do it. She was burned to death. Uh, and as Vishal Mangalwadi, a, a Christian apologist from India, said, you know, a lot of times what, what this really boiled down to is these older men would marry these young teenage girls and they would die. And then this mm. girl, maybe even in her 20s or whatever, and she's forced uh, to die. And William Carey saw this. And he tried to get the British government, which the British Empire was controlling parts of India at that time. And he tried to get them to stop this. 
And they were like, no, we're only there mainly for commerce, the East India Tea Company. Right, like, right. Uh, so, you know, stop bothering us about these cultural issues. <laughs> yeah. but, but Kerry just kept going with this. And finally, uh, they were able, they they did. They made a law against Sati. By the way, with the resurgence of some of the, some of the Hindus want to bring back the practice of Sati. But, but every time you see an Indian woman, you know, you... She should thank God, thank Jesus Christ, quite frankly, right. that she has her life because, you know, so many of these women were burned on their funeral pyres. And that's just one example among many yeah. where uh, Christianity elevated the status of women. Well, and this, yeah, I love you have a chapter called The Civilizing the Uncivilized. And the reason why I enjoy that is because, you know, Germans were not, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm of German extraction as well as Finnish. And, you know, before Christ and, and you know, Germany was the great unwashed. <laughs> you know I mean? we, we were the rebels. We were, you know, and and so it, it to come to fruition finally with a guy like Luther, who who translates the Bible, who who says Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. It's what ultimately matters. Uh, you know, in even some of the high culture that developed from that, of course, it went it went bad, obviously, with Hitler and, and you know, the uh, socialist movement. But he hated the church. But, you know, you think about that and you, you talked about how all of us without Christ, there go we. It's yeah. the civilizing of us, the raising up of our value, the understanding of human beings as as valuable people that need to be served in the name of God for, you know, one another. These things are are such powerful things, but they're rooted in this. There, you take away these foundational principles, you take away even Christ himself, and these things go away. And I think people don't think that's going to happen. I think they think we can have all these beautiful things, yeah. uh, destroy the narrative that and the, and the truth that gave it to us, and still have it. Talk about wh what you know, I mean, because I know you know this. Well, you take away you, Christ, and this stuff goes. You just brought up Hitler and, yeah. and the Nazis. I mean, that's a, almost a perfect example, textbook example. Hitler and the Nazis wanted to speed up evolution as they saw it. They wanted right. to create the master race. They wanted to therefore kill people that they viewed as subhuman, so, you know, in, in the whole Darwinian scheme as they interpreted it. And so therefore they killed large sections of, you know, obviously millions of Jews. They killed gypsies. They killed Slavs. Uh, they killed uh, Christians. They killed, they killed Germans. Pardon they me? killed they killed Germans. They killed oh, you know, like you said. They, the, the, their killing, in fact, began with the, with the severely handicapped. Right. They killed about two hundred thousand uh people, including many Germans, and a lot of them, some of them were even veterans of World War One who had been permanently injured because right. of their service. You know, thank you for your service. Bye-bye. In fact, Zyklon B gas, which was used in the concentration camps to, to exterminate mm. millions of people, especially the Jews. Uh, the highest group subgroup no question about it but they that was first developed to you to to kill the the handicapped people the idea of of all that you know there is no god or if there's gods you know it's like the no the norwegian gods the yeah. the norse gods the ones that wagner you know exalted in his operas by the way hitler was a big fan of Wagner operas and would go in those and spend hours and hours. You can read all of this yeah. in the book called the rise and fall of the third Reich by uh Shire. Right. And anyway, that's sort of where it was during the Wagner operas that he felt like he was getting his calling, which is wow. a very interesting thing. And so those gods of, you know, Thor and Odin, and, and we, we still have, by the way, 
in our culture, there are still remnants or reminders of those things. You know, mm-hmm. Thursday is Thor's day. That's where it comes from, that name of that Norwegian god. But this is so interesting, though, because what Hitler wanted to do was essentially get Germany back into the paganism uh, before Christian missionaries had come and set foot on, on German soil. He rued the day that the that Christians had made a difference. And, and uh, you know, so it, they did everything they could to de-Christianize Germany. They, for example, I mean, you can read this in, again in the rise and fall of the Third Reich. They had, they wanted the Bible replaced in the churches and instead they would have Mein Kampf. Instead of having a cross, cross yeah. they would replace it with the swastika and then also with a sword. And so anyway, bottom line is Jesus Christ was banished from his own land. You know, even they would even have Christmas trees, but they weren't called Christmas trees or, you know, mm. uh, because uh, we don't want to have anything to do with Jesus and, and so forth. Jesus was Jewish. If Hitler could have gotten his hands on Jesus, he would have, you know, killed him too. You know, he he, they were, they were, there was nothing a Jewish person in Nazi Germany could do once it was discovered that they were Jewish. There was nothing they could do. There was no redemption available. There was nothing. It's you have bad blood coursing in your veins, or so they thought. You know, you are not a pure Aryan. Uh, you're not Nordic. Right. I, you know, when my wife is from Norway, I've been to Norway 14 times. I love Norway. It's almost like a sub-adopted home. Right. It's over. A lot of Lutherans there. Great. That's right. That's right. Oh, no. And I, we were married in a Lutheran church in a bilingual service. Yeah, I do. Well, Hitler <laughs> took over the Nor- Norway, mainly so we could have, have greater access, access to Sweden, to the iron, iron ore from a certain part in Sweden. And so anyway, so he took over. And one of the things he thought was, hey, you guys are Nordic. You're like pure Aryans. We're Aryans. We're going to create this Aryan paradise. And the Norwegians are like, get lost. They wanted their freedom. And the Norwegians are, they did a great job trying to uh, undermine every, every way that they could. In fact, there's a fantastic museum, fantastic museum in Oslo called the resistance museum. And it's dedicated to those brave Norwegians that, that resisted against the Nazis who had complete control over their country. And it even says in that museum, it was because of the Christian culture of the people of Norway that they were able to resist, you know, as they did for five long years. Well, and, and I think I think that's the point we want to make too to the people. Uh, listen, the truth is truth, and like like even D. James Kennedy used to say, "Truths transform." And so there's that sense where no matter what these lies, Amen. lies have consequences, and truth has consequences. And so there's a sense when we stand for the things God created the world, God ordered the world; it's His world. And as we align ourselves with that, beautiful things happen. We can't save ourselves that way. We call that God's preserving work, but it opens us up to then His incredible saving work but my point is is that fighting for these things taking this narrative back is not just something for the sake of the church our culture needs us to do this because we can go over the edge and that's what you were talking about how you know people didn't realize that even high culture in germany couldn't save them it went wagner's way which produced hitler who would then rejected everything that had created the high culture in germany in the first place and so exactly that's what i want i want our people to read your book and i want them to get to understand in all these different ways 
civil rights, human rights, the value of life, the value of women, the uniqueness of marriage, the value of men who actually do what God wants them to do. All of those things and more are in this book. And it's time we take the narrative back, too, because our culture is not going to be saved just through legal stuff and politics, folks. Sultan Nietzsche said that one time he was overhearing some peasants arguing with each other. Why have all these bad things happened in Russia and to Russia? And one of the peasants said, it's because we have forgotten God. That's why all these bad things are happening. He said, I have not found any explanation better than that peasant's explanation about why all the bad things happened to us in the Soviet Union. It's because we have forgotten God. And, you know, take away Jesus Christ from the equation and you can end up with something like the Soviet Union. You know, remove Jesus Christ, remove Christian influence from society and you could literally un- unlock the forces of hell. Well said. Thanks for tuning in today. To get to know our LCRLDC work better, check out our website at lcrlfreedom.org. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Greg Seltz. Have a great week. You've been listening to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C., This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. 